Hello and welcome back to Absurdity. I am joined by my shadowy, and now no, hold on, We're this is why I say shadowy, but my shadowy co-host, Henry Johnson. I could have said stubbly co-host, Henry Johnson, too, but it looks like you... Uh, Looks like you forgot your razor the last couple days. You trying to go for that rugged mountain man look. Not going for the rugged mountain man look. Honestly, it's one of those things where I overslept my alarm this morning. So I did not uh, shave if I was going to make the appointments I had to keep. And you're getting, we're recording this near the end of our day. So I, it's five o'clock shadow on steroids. It liter- and literally it's five o'clock shadow. Uh, I love it. I love it. Well, I am... I'm excited for today's episode. If you are new here, we discuss all things absurd in religion, culture, and society. And the kind of platform that, or the foundation of absurdity is the idea that when we embrace that everything is absurd from different perspectives, it can help us have more authentic and better conversations. And so excited that you're here. And if you enjoy the episode, then consider subscribing. And yeah, let's get to it, Henry. Uh, So... This is going to be a fun time, and As already... As if our last two episodes haven't been fun. Yeah, our last two episodes have not been remote. Well, I w- okay, hold on. Our Josh Duggar episode is in no way controversial. The topic itself is controversial, I guess, but even then, not really. Like, everyone kind of has the same position on it to some degree. It's just a matter of how extreme your position, like, how far you take that position. And, you know, there's others that there are people that target just ATI and like the cult that Bill Gothard's whole group. There's some that just target Duggar and his family. And then there are others that go to TL all the way to like TLC. And then there are others that are like religion as a whole is a sham and terrible. So like it just depends on how far you take those views. But I feel like overall that one's not too controversial, right? Maybe it's not. I mean, so so what you're saying is we're stepping up the controversial level. Correct. Well, yes. Yes. I mean, it just depends on now who, if you think that Israel-Palestine or uh, this conversation about about guns and gun control is going to be, is is more controversial. But I think, I think what makes this one special and what is going to make this one really entertaining for, uh, for both you and I uh, and for our listeners is the fact that well, there's one very, very, very major difference between us, and that is that I have never held a gun in my entire life. And Henry, you have a lot of experience with guns, both as someone who has fired them, grown up, you know, with them as a kind of a regular part of your life, but as also someone who's involved in kind of hist- historical recreations and reenactments as well. So I, I'm excited to see how that how this plays out between us and if our friendship can overcome this huge, huge, you know, canyon between the two of us. Spoiler alert, it can, but... Uh, maybe. That's because, I don't that's know. because we... Pro- well, you know... Check it, back I, in I in an hour. Guess, uh, that's true. I guess it depends on if we take the traditional approach where I'm just going to say, well, you know, you you hate freedom. And then you turn around and say, I hate human lives. And then... By the time we're done, we just hate each other. Yeah, that's that's normal. So that's that's the standard way this conversation goes, and I'm I'm here for it. You know, I, I'm nothing if not consistent, and I just want to do what everyone else is doing. I'm a sheep, right? Because Henry. That, because I am the, a because sheep. that's why we created it. Well, we is a, no, I didn't have anything to do with it. Why you created absurdity, right? Was to be a sheep. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. That that's all. And, and, that and by the way, for, for, all all. Of, for all of our sheep listeners, you know, I'm sorry if that triggered you and that was pretty bad, but you know, we're gonna move on. Great. Great. Uh, that's a great <laughs> launching point. No, but I, I, I do think so. I, I actually want to give a, a short disclaimer here, which is simply the fact that, like, yes, I haven't held a gun. I haven't fired a gun. I, I'm unnaturally good at laser tag for some reason. And I actually distinctly remember a time way back when in high school where I was playing in laser tag in this, like, there was a whole laser tag place outside of Orlando. And they had like warehouse recreations. So it kind of felt like you were playing like a video game. So it wasn't just like this weird, those weird like sci-fi blacklight type of laser tag places, but it was very much like more urban style. And I actually remember at one point straight up like this. So imagine like this warehouse setup where you've got all these different pallets and construction things and that you can hide behind as a, you know, as protection and fire from whatever, right? And, and get cover. And I remember at one point literally getting up and walking down the center of the room and just turning right and left and just knocking people out. And it was amazing. Like John I've never Wick been able laser to, edition? Yes, literally. Except I never had to reload. And it was, it was beautiful. <laughs> Hollywood style. <laughs> um, paintball I'm much worse at. Um, and airsoft I'm much worse at because of aerodynamics and pressure different PSI differences and, you know, all of that good stuff. Uh, but I have had the cops called on me for airsoft. Me and my friends, as a kid, used to run around shooting each other. Um, masks and you on, survived, of course, course because, because you were white. And Yeah, I know, right? But neighbors would call the cops. That's... All right, well, <laughs> episode's over, everybody. Uh, <laughs> the Sorry. No, 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 but you're, you're right. I mean, knowing what I know now and thinking back on that time, that could have gone entirely different. But the other thing that went well in our favor was the fact that by the time the cops arrived, my friend and I just happened to already be done doing that. So it was, you know, it just made life a lot easier. And for us, because then the cop came and was like, hey, what was going on here? Rather than, you know, it, it, what's wild is someone called about guns and they only sent one cop. So that was what was weird to me. Now that's what's weird to me thinking back. As a kid, I didn't think anything of it. But so, you, were also you know, in Fair enough. Fair enough. That's that's true. Um, <laughs> the, the story keeps adding layers of dumb. Yeah, it, it's like, oh, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah all right, that makes sense. Yeah. So I have, I have experienced that way, but I, I, I just want to say this. If we come at these conversations with the mindset that we're not allowed, you know, you're not allowed to have an opinion or you're not allowed to talk about something unless you have personally lived it or done it or whatever— then none of us could ever get anything accomplished. And none of us would ever be able to either learn and be educated and know more about it. And I don't say that just to say like, so my opinion suddenly means more than anyone else's. No, not at all. That's not at all what I'm saying here. What I am saying is if we discount or, or take away the opportunity for people to have conversations and to be educated, because there are things that I don't know and if we take those, if we take that away from people, then I don't understand how someone as a gun rights advocate, as someone who wants, you know, who, who's very much a Second Amendment defender, I don't understand how you expect to change anyone's mind if you won't even let them have the conversation or, you know, won't take the time to educate them. And that's where I think we do need to, and that's part of what absurdity is. You don't have to have a PhD to have conversations and we try to model that and try to come at things from an educated perspective, but we learn from our listeners all the time. 
and we we learn from each other and we learn you know through our research so it, it it we grow as we go and so if there are things that i get wrong in this i'm sure henry will call me out on it but the i am i'm excited to continue learning and continue edu and being more and more educated and i'm excited for whatever kind of humility and whatever we can model in this conversation too so just want to give that short disclaimer uh as we enter into this conversation. So with that, Henry, you want to give us the kind of launching point for why we're having this conversation? All right. I mean, other than the fact that in North America, especially in the last couple of years, it seems like every other time you turn around, there's a story related to guns or gun violence in the media, obviously. So in one sense, you could say, well, this is always a topic that's relevant to talk about right now because it just comes up all of the time. Uh, but recently... And I'm sure there's a number of factors why, and probably it's several of them political optics and whatnot, but several states have been moving towards acting out legislatively some of the you know, beliefs they hold or different parties hold about weaponry. And that's nothing new. It just seems that some of the policies and, and laws or lack thereof now that are, that are coming into force are just reaching points of extremity, which I guess is the polarization of politics as a whole. And the one that really got our attention, or the two probably that got our attention, were two states, in this case, Texas, and then South Carolina, which is a state that I reside mm -hmm. in, and Ryan, you used to live in as well, have both passed, or are about to pass, as of the time we were recording this, uh, a couple different adjustments to their gun legislation or gun laws at the state level. Most people don't realize that most firearms laws are regulated at the state level. We are in a federal system. Uh, so now the federal government does regulate certain areas of firearms and certain things about firearm purchases and, and things like that. But the majority of laws as to how, how you can handle or purchase or register or conceal or whatever with your firearms are going to be happening at a state level. So each state is kind of a patchwork of what they decide. And to that end, one of the political debates that have happened a lot more in gun communities lately and got our attention was Texas, as the time we are recording this, so the 25th of May, has passed what they, both through the their state house and Senate, a constitutional carry provision. Now, I'm not even going to get into the, the details fully of what that loaded term, but, but basically, in short, as I understand it, Constitutional carry is the idea. Most people around guns have heard the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution, which talks about the right to keep and bear arms. Well, in the gun lobbies, in the gun realm, when you hear terms like constitutional carry, it comes from a subset of the gun culture that says, well, the Constitution says I have a right mm -hmm. to have anything and everything, and that any form of regulation whatsoever is an infringement of that right. And so any law or repeal of laws that can get me closer to constitutionality is going to be good for me. And so kind of the, the heading for that, and I know that's a very broad use of the term. I know there's more specifics under that, but it's it, idea of constitutional carry, right? That I don't mm. have to ask the permission of the government at any level for the right to carry a weapon of any kind. So Texas, as of today, passed House Bill uh, 1927, which, interestingly enough, that's, that's a whole different story about what that year brings to my mind about guns. But anyway, and it nixes the requirement for Texas residents to have to obtain a license to carry a handgun. Mm. So basically, it encompasses a lot of different things, some you might call open carry, which is the idea that now you can walk around anywhere that doesn't specifically 
say, you know, no weapons allowed. And you can carry a firearm visible to everybody in a holster or whatnot, or out of a holster. You've seen a lot of people doing this in Texas in the last couple of years with rifles and other things. We've seen these at protests. There's a lot of states that have been doing this, but the idea, and the governor is expected to pass it as far as sign it into law. But the thing that really caught my attention in this vote, other than, and we'll talk about it, other than me thinking it's, it's kind of really stupid, I just gave away my views on this, <laughs> uh, but, but the state senator that sponsored it, uh, a Charles Schwertner, I believe, said this, and I am going to read it with a Southern draw, just because I think that's fitting and to give some levity to an otherwise, you know, heavy conversation that's probably coming. He said this about the bill. He said, quote, this is a sample restoration, Texas constitutional rights under the Second Amendment, right of the people to keep and bear arms. I think it is a bill that's the strongest bill I've seen in my legislative career regarding the rights mm. of our Second Amendment, end quote. <laughs> so, um, but before you think, oh, okay, first he's making fair on Texas and two, Texas is weird. Texas is actually with this law coming into line with 20 other states that have moved in this direction, yep. uh, even if they don't call it a constitutional carry kind of law, including, and as I said, my own home state right now of South Carolina, just, and our governor did sign, Henry McMaster at the time of our recording, just signed into law this, I think, the end of last week, uh, what they call an open carry law, which states that any, but ours is a bit more restrictive than Texas. Again, it's, it's you know, administered at state levels. And it says that anyone that has a concealed weapons permit in South Carolina, which means someone who's gone through some form of training and been permitted by the state to be able to carry a handgun concealed, the idea you can't see it, can now carry it openly as long as they have the permit. Whereas Texas's law, you don't even need a permit of any kind. You can just, as long as you're 21 mm -hmm. and older and don't have a felony against you, Side note, how are they going to know if you have a felony or not with this law? Anyway, <laughs> you can yeah. just carry something. So the point that God is wanting to discuss this is both sides, I think this is just evidence, they get more and more entrenched in their positions to the point where they go to further and further extremes to prove how anti or pro-gun they are. And it's it's creating an environment where on both sides, I think things are getting just absurd. So we said, yeah. why don't we talk about this? Well, and I think... I, I think at the end of this, number one, I actually need to need to do a little bit more personal digging, not just on this topic, but on on um, the what matters become federally federally regulated versus state, right? You know, regulated by states, and the reason being, it just feels like every time that there's some topic or some issue, I either find out like, oh, that happens to be like there's no consistency, is what it feels like if you if you aren't. Dig if you haven't done any of the research or digging into why that's the case or what things fall under, you know, state versus federal uh, regulation. And so that that's one of those things that I, I, I'm genuinely wanting to dive in a bit more on, um, you know, that that plays into drug control, that plays into and, and, you know, legalization of things like marijuana. And that also plays into this conversation with guns. I, plays into road infrastructure and you know you know public works in general there, there's 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 a lot there that I'm I'm genu genuinely curious about that I don't think I've given enough time to 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 understand obviously cuz then I would understand it so uh that that's number 1 but number 2 
I tend to agree with you. And, and I think for me, the, the alarming thing in all of this was actually one line in an article I read out of a Houston newspaper. And this is where I have trouble with the way that media covers things. The one thing that really troubled me was there was a, a single line in a Houston newspaper I read this morning that said that gun rights advocates say that they believe in training but believe it should be optional or voluntary. And that statement is so broad and meant to very clearly communicate one thing. And I, I, I don't know. I, I think I do know gun rights advocates who have that position, but I've never heard them say it. I think, I think I'm, if anything, I'm kind of just assuming that onto them based on just the way I've seen them talk about this topic in general. But I, I, the vast majority of gun owners that I know are very, are, are very heavily advocating for increased training if not, you know, training at a base level, but increased training in order to own and, and operate handguns or just weapons in general. And, and what bothers me about that position, just, just as a whole for the state of Texas and, and for, I think Texas becomes the largest state, but there's 20 other states that, that also have the, a similar law to this or similar kind of approach. And what concerns me in this is this idea of like, yes, I understand that cars can be a weapon. Yes, I understand that knives are weapons, which knives are actually very tightly controlled, surprisingly. The, yes. But I think that, like, I, make, help me understand this, right? Guns are primarily a weapon, right? Like, I, I, what, I know that we use them for, you know, uh, clay shooting and, and competition and hunting, but, like, guns are primarily a, a weapon at their core. Is there some other, like cars are a, a mode of transportation that can be converted into a weapon at any given moment. But I feel like guns have one specific aim in mind, and that's destroying or putting a hole through whatever is in, you know, in front of them. It, do I have a misunderstanding there? I mean, it's going to depend, obviously, on who you talk to. I, I, I think most in the gun community like to refer to it more as their tools. Right now, yes. Well, it, then the question goes, yeah, okay, but what's the primary thing you're doing with this tool? Right, you know, a hammer is mainly hitting nails. You don't use a hammer to, you know, dig in your garden. So, I, I mean, yeah, the whole the whole concept behind firearms originally is they were, you know, to help you in a weapons capacity much easier than swinging a sword or you know throwing a cannonball or whatever. I mean, you know, combustive force. I mean, they're a tool, but they're a tool for a specific point. And yeah. it is to inflict force, right? Now, obviously, how do you use the force? You're using it against a deer, using it against a rabbit, a wild bear, a human being, right? There's and, and that's the other thing I think that obviously gets people all bent out of shape too with firearms because they they primarily have a, a militaristic component to them. Obviously, because why would society turn down, <laughs> you know, the opportunity to fight war stronger, right? Mm. Um, and, and most people probably don't, I think in the back of their mind, they would realize, and I say this as someone who has done a lot of historical work with firearms, and by that is, I'm not a historian, anything more than an amateur one, but I, you know, I've done reenacting, but I've also, for the sake of that reenacting or for historical study in a particular era that interests me the most, which would actually be the First World War, but in any case, it's part of that and being around people that own historical weapons and things like that. I've been able to study a lot of the development of firearms, not so much the laws around them, but but most everything related to firearms and its development has always been a military capacity that has driven the invention. 
Yeah. Right. And, and civilians have benefited from those developments, but so much of how things are designed, how they're implemented, the technologies behind them have, have all come about from military applications. I, you know, this is totally random, but to just talk about the, the interesting things you learn. I fired for the first time. I've seen these, but I, I didn't get to fire this until actually about probably about six to eight weeks ago, a, a fire lock. Now, what a fire lock is, if, if, Getting development. This is like one of the go back to the 1600s, and you're talking about when guns are first becoming a thing because you have explosive gunpowder and, and, and things like this. And this was literally a point, a fire lock, sometimes called a match lock. Somebody had to have a burning piece of rope. That was your ignition sequence. Okay. And you're dumping black powder into this thing. And when you get it all loaded, you're having to, you know, hold, while, and you're doing that holding a lit piece of rope. Yeah. You know, fantastic. <laughs> right. And you really appreciate the safety and modern weaponry now. And then they're having to, yes. you know, keep blowing it all that and test everything, get it the right length. And then to fire this thing, you're literally dropping a lit match into a pan filled with powder, causes an ignition sequence, a match lock or fire lock. The fire sets it off. And in as part of learning the manual of arms for that and learning how to how to fire it. Uh, the gentleman that had this, it, he does a lot of work actually with Hollywood with medieval weaponry. And so one of the reasons he had this is because a lot of Shogun series and stuff on TV and things now, when you think the feudal age in, the, uh, in Japan, like the samurai and things like that, uh, believe it or not, Japan for the longest time used these older firearms, actually all the way up mm. almost into the 1800s, partly because of technology partly because of how they couldn't get certain patent rights to build newer stuff. But anyway, and and he was talking about where the philosophy of how guns were used, you know, in military applications first began. And the interesting thing was the whole idea of guns to this day, gun owners will know what I'm talking about. Most every gun is set up for right-handed shooting. Nowadays, mm -hmm. you have ambidextrous. So if you're left-hand dominant, you can do it, but most guns were always set up to the right. You put it on the right shoulder. You're doing something on the right. And I had never given this any thought. And he goes, do you want to know why everything with guns, including the first match lock, was set up to fire and, you know, work and manipulate on the right? And I said, well, no, I had no clue. Because of pikes. I had no clue. Because prior to this, your main thing was pikemen. The idea is you have lines of guys with like 25-foot long poles with, you know, spear tips on them. Think phalanxes yeah. and things like this. And the way that you fight in that is everybody had to leave their pike on the right side of their body. That was the only way you could manipulate it because if you had anybody choosing which side they did it on, you could leave gaps in your line that a horse could get through. Mm. And I never even really thought about this. Again, I'm, I'm using this as an illustration of development and that it, they, guns are really tied to military usage. And the idea is, you know, well, all right, pikes are all on this side, so let's just standardize their use. Weapons are now going to be designed to operate on the right. Yeah, uh, And it's beside the fact that they've developed to a point that that doesn't matter. But at the time they came out, they're like, okay, they were small pieces of artillery. They had to move through. Anyway, so that was a long historical aside to your point that, I mean, most would like to use the language tool because the idea of, you know, weapon, that the connotation automatically, they think, sets the conversation in a bad place. But yeah. but I would agree. It's, it's a tool that's function is to move a projectile at great speed right, at a lethal speed to accomplish something, whether that's being lethal to the clay target, whether that's being lethal to the animal, or whether that ends up mm -hmm. being lethal to a human being. It's a tool that is amoral, 
you know, is a human has to tell it what it's killing, but it is going to move a projectile at high speed to impact a target, which is why, interestingly enough, one of the, <laughs> in the four basic rules of gun safety, so anyone that has had to take a weapons course of any kind, right, one of the four rules is, other than the first one, which is always assume the thing is loaded, right? Uh, you think, yes. duh, but the amount of people that don't think about that always assume it's loaded. But two, never point a gun at anything you are not willing to destroy. That is a literal yep. rule they teach you. If you're yep. pointing it at paper, you better be willing for that paper to like vanish, right? If you point it at that metal target, yeah, it may not vanish, but you have to you have to be willing when you pull the trigger to expect it to disappear, right? I yeah. mean, that, that's one of the rules. When you point it, expect whatever you're pointing it at has the ability to disappear. Yeah, and so, yeah. that's, and and so that's, but the reality of that is, and, and I would say like, don't point a knife at anything you don't intend to cut and don't drive a car or don't, don't, don't steer a car toward anything you don't intend to drive over the, or into <laughs> the, like, I know that you can adapt all of these sayings and I am not of the belief that guns kill people. I do believe that guns are a tool the, the way that you've, you've described. I'm not anti-gun in any significant way that way. I, you know, just to be up front here, 30 minutes in the, the idea for me is that I do believe that, that in the same way, kind of locks just keep people honest, right? You're, the idea is that your your locks basically just inconvenience people a little bit. But the lock picking lawyer on YouTube can quickly disprove anyone's notions that locks are secure. The I very much believe that that guns are a tool, and I think that even no matter how legal or illegal we make them, people will you know people will get a hold of them. My thing is given in order to both protect people who do not own guns and people who would be on the receiving end of gunfire from someone who's terrible and would use a gun for that purpose and someone who, and to protect those who want to carry guns and exercise their second amendment, right? I do want to heavily inconvenience the wrong kind of person from getting those guns as much as, as much as we can. And I, that, that tends to be my, my stance. And I think what, what has really bugged me in the entire gun control conversation, there's two things that bug me, right? Number one, I think this one's a little bit more recent, but I just have always found it ironic for the last year that we've been in the, the pandemic. This is where I start getting divisive and politically charged. But I will say the same with exceptions being exceptions, the same kind of person who refused to wear a mask in order to protect others is the same kind of person, as far as, as far as I've seen, the same kind of person who would then turn around and say that they should be able to carry guns and we should arm teachers in order to protect others. So, so the idea being that they don't want to be inconvenienced to protect others, but they want to feel powerful to protect others. But they don't want to feel like there's anything disrupting their way of life or their preferred way of life. And this is, this is the second thing, and this is the, this is the second comparison I draw. And, and if you're watching this on video, I've kind of looked away because I'm, I'm trying to find my old tweet about this from years back, but I, I, I haven't been able to find it yet. But I tweeted about the fact that we are absolutely, for some reason, we are okay with building schools in a way that limits sight lines of people with a gun, which can only limit so much. And like intentionally built out spaces 
in hallways and others to so that people can actually gain some cover because every second matters, you know, when you, when you're dealing with an active shooter situation. We're okay with with kids ducking behind desks and basically living every single day and parents living every single day with with the reality that, that this could happen to them in a far more likely situation than other realities that that kids face on a daily basis in the school system. We are okay with that. We are okay with them having to walk through metal detectors and we are okay with all of the kids having to have all of the inconveniences so that I can continue to own my gun. But the second someone even so much as whispers the idea of, of tightening regulation or making it a little bit harder or just the idea of if we can all give just a little bit, we can all live more safely. And that's where, like, when I see that it's the kids who have to struggle, the kids who are the ones suffering, and don't, do not get me wrong, I also think that we should be investing in emotional well-being resources, mental health resources, counselors. I really hate that the only time that schools call more counselors is after tragedy and not before tragedy. I really hate that. Okay. So I'm not trying to say that this is just a gun thing. I'm saying, why can't we hit this from multiple angles? No pun and intended. It's correct. And the, and it bugs me because I'm not trying to say I know people's hearts, but it just seems so, so wrong to me. It's to, selfish. Just, just it's bad faith way. arguing to me. And it's selfish. It's saying I care. I only care about your safety insofar as it inconveniences or conveniences me. That is all I care about. I don't care how much it inconveniences you, but I care how much it inconveniences me. And that's what's sad to me is that we aren't willing to give a little bit just to help our kids feel a little bit more safe when they go well, to school and, every day. And I think that can go on, on both sides. I mean, I will throw out for an aside, see how much you, you find this fun for future arguments that you make. I, I get a lot of advertising for gun-related products just because I'm I'm in that sphere of life. And one of the products that's been advertised the last couple of months, I've seen several times, are you ready for this, is a backpack for kids designed specifically with two sheets of armor plating in it that if there's a school shooting, there's a special tab you can pull in the center and the backpack will actually split in half and they can wear it like body armor on either yes, side. I have, I've seen yeah, something yeah. <laughs> like that before, yeah. And like that's that seems yeah. to me like like what year is this? Like where are we and what country are we in? Because we are not the like other developed countries are doing just fine. Like this is unless this they're is, using knives and cars, but you know. Correct. Yes. And and by the way, this but this isn't about knives and cars to some degree. This is about a very specific weapon. But even if you want to talk about knives and cars, yes, those things are tightly regulated. And yes, terrible things still happen. But it's very rare that someone's driving through a school. So, uh, right. I, the, I, I, th I think like you were saying, I mean, it comes down to selfishness. And, and you're talking to a guy that, I, you know, spoiler alert, if you couldn't probably figure out from the beginning of this, I, I appreciate the Second Amendment. I'm glad that we have it. I have taken advantage of it. And uh, hopefully not taken advantage of like, ha, ha, ha. But, you know, I have availed myself of that freedom to be able to enjoy things related to firearms in my life. But I've always been in the philosophy, freedom entails responsibility. And I think hmm. the problem that we've gotten to now on both sides, and like you were saying, is that we have a philosophy as selfish human beings that anything that inconveniences me in the least, I don't want. And we'd have no real discussion about responsibility. And that can go both ways. That can be, 
how dare you do anything that inconveniences or makes it a little bit more difficult for me to get a firearm? Or on the flip side, how dare we allow anything that inconveniences me and that I might have to see a firearm or know that my neighbor owned one, right? You know, it, on either side, I think it's this whole idea. You're never going to solve any discussion if it's all about you at all costs, right? I mean, yeah. that's what makes compromise inevitable, and 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 it also means that neither, that we don't want responsibility. We want everybody else to have the responsibility, but not us. And if that's the case, that's not only a regulatory minefield if we start going down that way, but it's it's not going to solve anything because now what's happening is we're going mm -hmm. to the extremes where we're getting rid of responsibility. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know. Yeah. Well, and and there is something to be said about the. I get it. If you own a gun, you you went through the you went through the proper channels channels to own it. You have the the permits. You have everything, and it feels unfair that you have to do more or go through extra steps and and jump through extra hoops in order to do the thing that you love or own the thing that you love. It feels unfair that you have to do that because someone else didn't. Because the the bottom line is when you look at all these different different crimes that have been committed, it's very rare that it's someone who you know had everything they were supposed to have with you know, in their gun ownership. Yeah, because criminals uh, aren't following the law anyway. Yeah, yeah. and I get that. Um, and I, like, I fully understand that argument. And so I would love to see something from from the, the gun rights advocates to say, what can we do to make that pro process harder without further causing inconvenience to those who are lawfully carrying and lawfully, you know, uh, operating firearms. But I also am sensitive to the reality that, like, guns are not just a collectible. Guns are not just a weapon. And I know I said, like, that's their kind of primary function is to hit, hit, you know, poke a hole through whatever they hit. That's that's the function of the of that tool. But the the I'm very aware of the fact that guns are very much a cultural thing now. That people, if you grew up with family on it, you know, you grew up in in the in a rural area or with a lot of land and you know, you went out shooting with your families on Sunday, you know, with your family members on Sundays and you were really good at target practice and you knew and grew up being taught gun safety and, and proper gun etiquette. And it's just been a part of your life to the point that it doesn't bother you at all. And I like I fully understand that cultural significance of guns. And I do not I'm not a fan of taking a, taking that away from anyone. I'm really not. I, I don't think that that's the way that we accomplish this. And the other, and but on the flip side of that, I also understand that guns are not a part of everyone's culture. And in the same way that if you put me next to an alligator and you put um, like Bindi Irwin or uh, whatever the, what's, what's the son, what's Steve Irwin's son's name? I can't remember. Uh, but if you put little me Irwin. next to, yeah, little Irwin. <laughs> if, you, if you put me next to, a, a alligator or a crocodile and you put one of them next to an alligator or a crocodile, both of us are going to have very different reactions to that, that animal. And the, just, just go watch them on any talk show and you'll understand exactly what I say, what I'm saying here. I think we need to be sensitive to the, to the, the significant reactions or the, the harsh reactions that people will have to guns and weapons who can't fathom it because it's not a part of their culture. And somehow we need to be self-aware of those differing cultures when we have these conversations. We need to start from a place of where am I coming from and where are you coming from so that we have a better understanding of each other. I don't think that we can have better conversations about this topic at all without better understandings of each other. 
Well, and, and being that's willing to needed. approach it, being willing to approach it, thinking the best about the other. Because that's that's one of the biggest struggles. And one, I, I hope, if nothing else, out of this conversation, because people go, wait, you didn't really get into laws and you didn't get really into whatever. Well, I know this is just a conversation that we have. But part of modeling that is this, you know, Ryan's never held a gun, okay, other than like a laser pointer thing, you know, laser tag or, or <laughs> laser, laser pointer point. thing. I mean, so, that's what they're essentially glorified laser pointers. Uh, laser so that's pointers. Fair. That's a yeah. fair assessment. Yeah, I mean, you know, and a, and a paint object, but. Uh, the, the point is, I don't come into it if he starts advocating about gun control or whatever. I don't view him as automatically, well, that must mean he hates guns or he hates me as an individual, right? And too many of us start the conversation by automatically thinking the other one's against me and wants what's worse for me, which means you're never going to be able to have a discussion. And that's something I wish whatever happens in the future of quote, gun debates, that we could get to a point where those that are pro-gun rights, if you want to call it that way in some way, shape, or form, don't immediately view gun control advocates as they hate your entire culture. They hate your up. Maybe some do, but I'm just saying that, that's beside the point. You can only control you. Don't approach yeah. that. They hate me. They're against me. Everything I am, you know, the fact that they're after this thing that matters something to me means they're actually after me personally. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, stop thinking that. But on the flip side, I'd ask any you know, gun control advocates to stop looking at someone that owns a firearm, which I've run into a lot. Like it's easy to find the videos and, and the articles where they go, well, these people hate children because every time they mm. try and defend their guns when a school shooting happens shows they value that inanimate object over a child's life. Or, yeah. you know, they hate my life because that gun is an affront to me or whatever. And you're never going to solve anything if both sides think the other one is out to exterminate you. Yeah. And no wonder we're not getting anywhere on this conversation. Yep. And I don't want to, I don't, at the same time that I don't want to paint all gun rights advocates the same way, because I think, Henry, you tend to be on the more balanced end of the spectrum on this topic. Otherwise, I feel like you would have had a much more visceral reaction to what I've said. And I don't think you're hiding or, or you know, withholding a reaction because we're on a podcast and we want the views. So if you do have a reaction, yeah. <laughs> I would expect you to give it to me. But the I don't want to paint all everyone with a broad brush, but I do think that a lot more of the vocal ones also, I think another problem that comes from the the gun rights side on on the more extreme end of it is is it feels and it seems like a lot of this ends up being about feeling powerful and liking the way that I feel when I have a gun. And the Which idea scares of, me, by the way. The, yep. the idea, and, and, if your idea of having a gun is that it's going to make you powerful, I'm automatically suspect of why you should have it. And this is like, this is one of the most gross and disgusting things I've seen in this conversation. I've seen it recently, actually, and I see it more and more with more politically divided conversations. But I see on Facebook or on Twitter or wherever I am, you know, it's been a pandemic. So don't, it's not like I've been going out to, to, you know, down the street to the park and having conversations about gun rights with people, right? The, but the more and more I, I, I see conversations about guns, I, I end up, or, or a situation where, like, let's talk about AOC or Biden or anyone on January 6th. The number of comments that I saw after January 6th uh, or, or during, but, you know, leading up to as well, I, I actually got worried during the, when the Parler data leak happened because I had downloaded Parler like a week prior to that. It was after the January 6th shooting, or the January 6th shooting, January 6th uh, insurrection. And the reason that I downloaded it was because I wanted to 
firsthand do research and understand what was being said on that platform about this. I wanted to sure. see the comments from the, the Proud Boys organizers and all of that, right? And then I was like, oh no, someone's going to see my name this there. Is, this assume. is a facade. Ryan only yeah. tries to sound center left because it just protects his job. No. <laughs> yeah, actually, if you're if you're watching the video of this, behind the acoustic foam is I press a button and, a, and my wall opens up to, you know, a really, really sophisticated, you know, inner, inner, like in between my wall is is just a whole thing of guns, a whole shelf. So, you know, that's just how I live my life. You um, can tell he's no, not no. a gun owner. The idea that a whole thing of guns was his statement. <laughs> and what I see about what I see about AOC, what I see about um about a lot of people that that gun rights ad advocates tend to not be a big fans of because they tend to be on the conservative end of the spectrum for obvious reasons here. I have seen a number of comments of people saying, I wouldn't protect them with my gun. I wouldn't use my gun to protect this person who is against gun ownership or against gun rights or whatever. I wouldn't use my gun to protect them. And that is so disgusting to me. And that's where the power dynamic to me comes into play. Because to me, that says you just want to be the one who gets to say whether someone lives or dies. That's all you want is you want the power or the potential because I, I guys tend to do this a lot more than girls. I, I, I haven't seen a lot of girls do this, but in middle school and, and I know I wasn't the only one that would always picture like if something terrible happened right now and, and guys, our imaginations run wild. We like to picture ourselves as the hero in the situation. What would happen if someone burst in doing this? You know, would, I would dive in front of the bullet or I would, you know, I would protect someone else. And we like to picture ourselves as the hero in these situations. And it's the same, you know, it's just that, but on a grander scale as the person with the gun. We like to picture ourselves as the, as the, as the heroes in these, in these dramatic moments. But it's disgusting to me to say, you want to, you want, to own a gun and one of your reasons for owning it is you believe that it's for protection for you your loved one friends families and i saw this a lot in response to the black lives matter protests and and the the riot the rioting that had broken out as well which seven percent out of 90 out of 100 percent of the riots last you know last summer were were or of the protests were riots only seven percent out of them 93 were actually largely peaceful protests and but I saw a lot of that. I wouldn't protect these protesters with my gun. I wouldn't protect a single one of them. And I'm like, then why are you, then why is protection even a part of this argument? Because last I checked, the argument wasn't so I can protect people I agree with or people I like. And that's where, that's where this really, and what was even more heinous in response to the protests was that it was police that, that were, were acting violently a lot very often against protesters and people saying, I wouldn't use my gun to protect those protesters. And I'm sitting here like, what? That's literally the whole point, isn't it? I, th I thought the Second Amendment was to preserve everyone's freedoms. You know. Yeah, that, like, like I don't, was it that literally the point? And that's like, that's where to me, that that's the most disgusting part of this conversation is when I see it re seemingly revealed that this is more about power than it is about either protecting a right or defending rights or protecting or any of the other arguments that we are using to justify gun ownership. And those are the exact kind of people that I trust the least with a gun. Well, and to throw it out here, because I haven't necessarily seen those comments you referred to, or I'm sure they're out there and whatnot. I'm going to go out on a limb and probably think in the social media world that they're making snarky remarks to express their displeasure or pleasure with something. Uh, the only thing I, and I, I will hope say that's is, the case. I would hope because the alternative is just even more sickening to, to me. But even if that said, there is the irony in that too of, again, we don't usually engage in a lot of nuance in our conversations. Anyone who well, thinks you and I a gun, do. 
Well, okay, yes, but I'm saying most people don't. We're trying yes. to model this. The, yeah, the yeah. irony to me as a as a gun as a gun owner, right? When you were saying that was when I hear, well, I wouldn't use my gun to protect them or whatever. Well, depending on the laws of your state, right? Assuming you actually had to have some sort of training, it's not as simple as somebody's in trouble. I pull out a gun now and I go to their defense. There are several laws that, I mean, you know, when I went through my concealed weapons permit course, and, and then I've, I've had to take, it's some states it's concealed weapons permit, CWP, some it's concealed handgun license. It depends on your terminology, but when I say, you know, concealed weapons permit, that's kind of the general idea. Uh, I've had to take that in two different states. And because uh, I've lived in two different states at the age where I, that was a thing for me. And each state had different rules about at what point I could engage a weapon, both in my defense, but also in somebody else's defense that I had nothing mm. to do with the situation. So it's not as simple as I walk by and Ryan's getting beat to a pulp on the sidewalk. And then I go, I've got a gun. Time to protect him. Yeah. Right. Because th there are many situations where even though that is unfortunate what's happening to Ryan, if I step in with a firearm, I've actually broken the law myself and a few other things that could, th th there, there's yeah. a lot of thresholds that have to be yes. met uh, before you employ that kind of thing. So again, I, I that's just the irony. I'm sitting here listening to that story. And I'm like, folks, first of all, did you do any training to know when you could or could not protect them? But I guess they're not even at that point in their mind. <laughs> they're just like, I won't do no. anything for them. This isn't the Wild West. I can't just walk in and be like, meet you on the street in 20 minutes, high noon. Right, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I th that is something that I, I actually do want to talk about education. And, and I like that you, you talked about this. I, I think that gives me a good segue here because I know I've talked a lot about the weakness on the, on the gun rights side that I, that I see a lot of the problems and problematic arguments that I see. But the other problem that I see is from my camp or from the more extremist side of my camp that do believe that we shouldn't own any guns and that the government should come and take all of our guns, um, is that many people have a, like, a, they lack any sort of gun education, period. They lack any sort of understanding on how guns really work, what they, which is why Hollywood gets away with like 80% of what it does is because no one understands how gun works. Yes, so now that's and, and, gun education. And as a side note, Hollywood really for the most part other than a few movies yeah. and series that i know in gun communities they like to praise but for the most part they have no clue what they're doing with firearms every show i watch half the time now the more as i grew older and learned more about guns and firearms and the mechanics and in fact some gunsmithing i was, I was i've gotten to a point in my life where i've been learning gunsmithing so it's like main, maintaining and working on these tools right yeah. I'll, I'll watch stuff in hollywood and just roll my eyes it gets worse and worse i look at that and i go first of all that doesn't even look right or what amalgamation of a weapon is that and then if he really did that in real life he'd hurt himself you know <laughs> you know you watch some of these things and you're just like really <laughs> they have no clue. yeah yeah well and and so i think that there has been i think a lot of those in favor of more gun control or more regulation have done a disservice and are arguing in bad faith because they haven't done a lot of research for any of what they're talking about. And mm -hmm. as much as I, as much as I hate Steven Crowder, he has done actually a really great, hate his content, not him as a person, but I just really dislike his general content. He's actually done a great job of highlighting this through his changed my mind series, uh, where he goes to college campuses and talks about some of these in, and engages in these, these conversations. And you get with college some students. really dumb responses. Yeah. He gets some really good dumb responses. Now I, who knows how much of that's actually edited and, you know, maybe he gets a lot more reasonable and well, 
well thought out positions and responses, but and he but just it's not as entertaining. So they edit them. But correct. Yeah. I I don't know. I have no idea. That's that's speculation on my part. I don't know. But what I am saying is he's actually done a great job of that. And and a lot of gun rights advocates do when they say like, you know, what's an AR? You're saying you want to ban all assault rifles, and like that's not what AR stands for. And Henry, you'll have right. to remind me of this because I know that's not what AR stands for. But I also in and that's in the interest of being honest in this conversation, like. I don't remember what they're called, um, but I do know it's not assault rifle. Yeah, that that's a media term. AR actually stands for the manufacturer that first came up with the class of weapon that are yes, commonly okay, called okay, ARs. It's, yeah. it's Armalite rifle. Okay, it was the Armalite Corporation, and if that rings any bell, actually AR, the Armalite company, is who invented what's commonly known in military parlance as the M16. Okay, that's the military yeah. designation. They're the same weapon except for the ability to go full auto or burst fire versus semi-auto or single shot. And that kind of goes to your point too about education. That is one thing that annoys me as a gun owner when I, I meet somebody that wants to more heavily regulate them, and that's fine. They have a right to that opinion. But you'll often see the videos, and I see this a lot in the gun communities that I'm a part of where they always love to play these videos where they'll hold up like an AR-15, something that kind of looks, yep. you know, you'll see those shapes. And then they'll hold up a weapon that in its capacity to cause devastation is probably 20 or 50 times worse, but it doesn't look the same. And they'll go, which one of these should you ban? And the people always point at the one that's shaped like, you know, the weapon they're used to in Hollywood, the ARs or yeah. else like that. And then the gun owners will be like, ha, you know nothing about weapons. It's obvious because this thing is like a grenade launcher. And this thing is just a little simple itty bitty bullet. And you want that because you think it looks scary. You know nothing about guns. And it's true. Usually the people are not educated enough to know what each of these things are doing. Right. Yeah. But, but that's just it on either side. If you're going to get engaged in the debate, both as a, as a pro second amendment person, educate yourself like on the Gabby Giffords initiative or things like that. Like, like what are, why do they want that control or what yeah. are the things they're pushing that they think will control it? Now, I'm not saying you have to agree with it, but at least when they bring it up, be able to have educated reasons as to why that won't work yeah. in your mind or whatever, you know, and, and tell them like, well, no, actually, no. Right? Or on the other side, you want to go talk to a gun owner and say, no, they don't need to be in school. They don't need to be where, well, at least know enough to know which end the bullet comes out of. Uh, yeah. 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 You know, because yep. there's... <laughs> Well, and uh, so, so there's, there's, there's a couple things here that I, I do want to mention too. I've seen the same videos. It happens a lot at like festivals or whatever, where I've seen like, like a booth or a little table set up in a, and you know, a folding table and they're standing there with a poster or something. And they're, 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 they're talking about gun rights and, and second amendment support and all of that. And a lot of them really, it just seems like are looking for gotcha moments instead of really to change minds. And do you have of a course. moment there where you are able to when when humans are presented with information that corrects them and with information that counteracts or counters their beliefs, the brain does a wonderful job, too good, honestly, of protecting itself. And people will level this against me as a Christian or you as a Christian all the time because we'll, they say that we do this with, with our beliefs. This idea that, that we kind of, when someone is presented with wrong information about something that they hold dear or something that they truly have accepted, they will double down and to rewrite facts in order to justify their their position rather than actually it. accept then yeah they'll filter it in order to protect their current position rather than actually adapting on on new and that's because we we tend to make decisions based on emotion not just based on logic and here you have you have an opportunity to demonstrate to someone hey you might actually misunderstand what kind of gun you know what what kind of weapons and what kind of what kind of guns we're talking about here 
And as we have these conversations, I'm not trying to change your mind here, but I would love to at least make sure that you're on a better ground and better footing as you have these conversations. And and like, there's a way you can approach that that isn't looking for a gotcha moment for Facebook and YouTube. And that's what bothers me is most of these seem to be gotcha moments rather than genuine conversations. Well, and the same thing when it comes to legislation. And I'll say this as, as a gun owner, there's been many things that the government has tried to legislate about guns or other things uh, that that prove that even the people legislating about firearms don't really have any clue about what they're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing I can think of is in our lifetime in the 90s was the assault weapons ban that has since expired. Mm. Uh, but when you, you know, and it sounds good, the assault weapons ban, right? We're stopping people from having guns that could assault people. Well, okay. But when you really started looking into that, and I know there's going to be a little terminology wonky, but like one of the things that that, ban did was they banned bayonet lugs on firearms. Now, if you don't know, like what in the world's a bayonet lug? It's a fancy term. It's a piece of metal that you hook a big, long, pointy knife on. So think of the old mm-hmm. like war movies where you know, it's a combat weapon, but a knife could be on the end of your, your barrel, the gun barrel. And they said, well, that's a purely military application or whatever. And that makes guns twice as lethal or dangerous or whatever. And so we're going to, you can buy the exact same gun, but don't have the little piece of metal on the bottom that a knife could get connected to. Yeah. And, 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 and as a gun owner, when you're looking at people going all out of shape and legislating stuff like that, it doesn't engender trust when you're like, I don't think the people making these rules have any clue about the things they're regulating. They, they have no idea. Because look, now they can tell everybody, we banned assault weapons. And you're like, it's a piece that has nothing to do with the functioning of the weapon. Yeah. Right, right. You know, it just looks scary. And you're like, but. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. No, just- I, I agree with you. And, and, and I wish that we would have better conversations. And I think one of the realities around this is, and I think this is true of sex education. I think this is true of just general kind of education across the board. But I think that we need to do a better job of having conversations and teaching our children about about guns in general. If you are living in a country where you are, you know, expecting people to own weapons and have access to weapons and you don't always know everything about the people that your kid goes to hang out with after school. You're not sitting down doing family interviews with people. Now some people do, I guess, but like you may have a meeting greet, but you still may not actually come across the idea of weapons in the house or guns, right? Kids don't know any better. And the first time that they interact with a gun should not be when a friend shows them it. Yeah, or when if, a, if you think Hollywood and their video game is what's going to teach them about proper gun usage or function, then you are asking for trouble. Yep. Which, by the way, I'm tired of the video game argument against guns because Several other developed nations have the same video games and do not have the same gun problem. So miss me with the gun with the video games cause gun violence and and uh, violent and, you know create violent murderous people. Just just go ahead and miss me with that because that that is a bogus thing that just makes it harder for us to have these conversations too. But I think if the problem is that guns are so serious if they are found and, you know, with, you know, and put in the wrong hands or put in the hands of someone who doesn't understand what's going on. And we see even adults mishandle these and mismanage them. There's a video I saw the other day of a dude on Reddit who was, a gun wasn't firing right at the range and he holds his palm in front of it. And I guess, I don't know if it was the instructor or his friend around him or next to him. And he, like, he's just looking over his shoulder like, hmm, I wonder why this gun isn't working. 
and it's a black and white, you know, no, no audio, but they're just both inspecting it. He, it doesn't work. He kind of shakes it and then holds his palm in front of the gun again and fires right through his, right through the palm of his hand. Luckily didn't point it at anything. It was still pointed technically down range, but it's just like, you know, that they both got banned for life immediately uh, on top of of the hospital bill for that one dude. If that is real, I mean, that, what kind of instructor did he have? Was this Billy Joe Bubba's, you know, Yeah, and I don't know range. if it was an instructor I mean, or a friend, <laughs> but a friend, or it was just someone, you know, over his shoulder. But yeah, I... They obviously knew point, nothing about gun safety. Correct, but that's my point is, we need to have better conversations with our kids about guns and what, like, if your kid is at the age that they're going over to someone's house, then I feel like that's a conversation that to some degree should probably start happening. And I would say the same thing for for um, pornography and sex addiction because my pornography addiction started because a friend of mine in my neighborhood was actually over at my house. We were in my room un, uh, like unattended. My parents were either across the house or it was my grandma that was home that day or whatever. And the and he showed me websites, like inappropriate websites. And that was what started. I didn't didn't realize that that was even a thing and an option. And then that's what started me down that path. And that's what I'm saying is, and I'm not saying you can't trust other people or anything like that, but to some degree, if you're going to protect your kid and allow your kid to be the reasonable one in the room, like then you need to educate them because if they're not educated, they're going to make, regardless of how responsible your child is, sometimes they may have the instinct that whatever situation they're in is bad or dangerous. But overall, I don't think that many kids do. I know I didn't. I know none of my friends did. The stuff that we did in it's a miracle that I was never either arrested or just like things, terrible things didn't happen to me as a kid with how often I was out. I used to BMX and ride around my town all the time with, with friends. And, and it's amazing the, the stuff that we did got away with. And somehow, like, that's one of the reasons I, I know God is real because I'm somehow still here despite my dumb teenage self. And that's, I think, a reality. If you're going to live in a country that has this kind of, that has gun rights and, understanding the folly and mismanagement that people have and the honest mistakes that people have. We need to, we need to educate our kids and educate each other about them, proper handling, what to do if you ever see a gun unattended and, you know, leave it alone um, or, or leave the room. Like just don't even, you are leaving immediately if, if you are at a friend's house and you guys find a gun somewhere. Like this isn't a, you, and there needs to be that safety of if your kid is in trouble and you know that, and they know they were doing something wrong you need to have some sort of safe word or something that they can call you for help. And they're not going to face consequences the same way for it. They need to know that it's okay to call you and ask for help and know that they're not going to get in trouble because the, the threat of being in trouble and being punished often keeps a lot of kids in bad situations. And that's where I think the education is a reality that we need to face. And I think it's something that needs to happen on a grander scale, both in the education system and starting in the home. So anyway, that's my big kind of soapbox for that. And I'm saying that for the one day that I have kids and I'm in favor of more gun regulation, but the day that I have kids, I need to have those conversations too. Yeah. And I agree with the sentiment behind that. I'd probably push back a little bit. I don't, I don't think training people to be scared of them is, is necessarily a, a great method of dealing with them. Cause I, and that's kind of, well, I'm not saying don't be scared of them. When I hear like, there's one in the room, run, you know? No, and I'm not um, saying, I'm saying leave the room or leave the environment if you, if you see it, mainly, it, and you're with friends. That's really what I mean. Or go tell an adult immediately. Something like that. Yeah. I'm saying that, like, don't, 
What I'm saying is avoid the situation where that where that becomes a potential or a problem. You're trying to minimize the risk. To me, that's what that's where I'm trying to say. I understand where where yeah, and that's this this is where I'm thankful for us in our relationship and friendship because I think you understood that I wasn't meaning that, but you also understood yeah. from your perspective how it sounds like that. And this yeah. is where I'm really glad that you brought that up so that I could clarify it and we could both clarify it. Because, uh, yeah, you're right. I'm not trying to teach people to be afraid of them, but rather to respect them for the damage potential that they have. Yeah, just like, you know, you wouldn't want your kid just operating a table saw without any sort of understanding about how the thing operates. And that kind of goes back to what I, I think we've agreed before. Uh, and I've said this, but it bears repeating again. Freedom is cause for responsibility and responsibility is cause for morality. I mean, this is philosophy 101. And the idea mm. is with anything, I think if you want to exercise that freedom, you need to be responsible. I don't want the government saying that people can't have a firearm. At yeah. the same time, I do think there is a certain societal right, as much as it would probably annoy me, and as much as a lot of the things I deal with now are very annoying to me as a gun owner. But you have to have responsibility with that, right? Freedom, exercise that freedom, but show you're responsible with it. Just like I had to get a driver's license to drive a car, now, I know mm. all the arguments, and, and I said there needs to be debate about this because I know people go, yes, there should be a national firearms license, and that really terrifies me because, to be honest, people in the gun community, we don't trust the government. That The same government that passed something as dumb is the assault weapons ban with a bayonet lug being the problem, and how many, you know, nowadays all the conversations, high-capacity magazines, they're bad. Who needs, you know, 30 rounds to do whatever? And they think the magazine is the problem with the firearm. And, you know, some of these, the same government that's that uneducated when they're going to make a rule, it's hard to trust them to be like, yeah, and I'm really going to trust you to know everything I own yep. and, and what I have and that you're not going to start some registry and just come after us. I, I, I get that argument too. But that discussion needs to be had in some way, shape, or form just because you can't trust them like that. Well, then put in safeguards or, you know, whatever. But at the same time, there needs to be some sort of, uh, responsibility undertaken. And yeah. I wish that wasn't the case, but we're reaching a point in society where we have ceased as a, you know, as a whole being responsible. And I know you can't, I know the argument on the flip side, well, you can't just legislate responsibility. Yeah, there's limits, but I, I don't think it has to be an all or nothing proposition. Maybe that's unpopular no. to say. I don't think it needs to be all guns banned. I don't think we have to get to a point almost like, you know, some European countries or even the direction New Zealand and other things are going. But at, at the same time, it doesn't need to be, I'll just be honest, I'm not thrilled with what South Carolina just did with their open carry law. Of course, it's interesting to me that the police departments aren't either, and the parties that say they're very pro-police are ignoring them in this case. Or yep. then states like Texas are doing that, where there needs to be a free-for-all where it doesn't matter whether you know the backside of a gun, the front side of a gun, or anything, just go have at it. And yeah. why they think that's not going to cause a problem, I mean, you're just asking for it with how irresponsible people are, but we yeah. need to show responsibility. I'll, I'll just go out on a limb and say this kind of was beginning to wrap up. This isn't me just as a citizen saying, you know, that just happens to have a few guns, but, you know, I'm like, well, I don't like the government regulating me, or, or you might go, well, you haven't had enough regulation to deal with to know about what that would look like as a gun owner. No, I do. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. And, and I'll say this knowing that you won't know exactly what I have that makes me deal with this, but I, I am one of the, uh, a smaller class of gun owners in America that operates under something called the NFA or the National Firearms Act. And that's a whole different conversation for another time. But for those of you who are like, what in the world is that? 
Uh, just know it is legal in this country, and I think this is a great thing. You can, again, disagree with me. This shows I'm a gun guy, but it is legal for certain civilians to own actual full-auto machine guns and destructive devices and other things in this country. When the media is always like, that person had an assault weapon or it was a fully automatic weapon, and I always watch those reports, and I'm like, no, it's not. You know nothing about guns. But it is actually legal in this country. It's heavily regulated. That's why I'm bringing this up. To own full kinds of military weaponry for certain purposes, okay? Yeah. And it it is highly regulated. It actually is regulated, not at the state level, but at the federal level, by five different departments of the government, including the Bureau of Alcohol, Firearms, Tobacco, and Explosives, hashtag bad combo, uh, commonly was, called yeah. the AT, yeah, commonly what, called what the ATF. reach. Yeah, because all those things together is just wonderful. Alcohol, guns, okay, you know, drugs, explosives. So, but the ATF, the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the Department of the Treasury, right? There's all these different agencies that this regulation happens under. And I have gone through that process multiple times. Title II, Class Three weapons is what they call it for certain things that I have had access or the ability to do in my life. And it's it's an annoying process. I will say this on behalf mm. of all gun owners or anyone that's tried to go through this process. It is, it is mind-numbingly bureaucratically stupid to the point where everything I do is still in paper form in the digital age. Mm. So I'm making hand copies of stuff and passport photos and taping it to the documents. And it's ridiculous. Um, you know, I'm going through full fingerprinting. I'm not talking about just a little phone call when you go buy a gun, the NICS system, where they just go, is yeah. he wanted for anything? Nope. Okay, he can have it. No, I'm talking about the FBI's running all 50 states, figuring out if I'm a psychopath, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, you're paying additional taxes on this thing, and the process can take up to a year. Okay, mm -hmm. and that's if you're lucky. It's usually dragging out longer because the ATF is as slow as a herd of turtles in a field of peanut butter. I just want you to know that when you and, first said alcohol, tobacco, and firearms and explosives all in the same place, what could be better? I, the first thing I thought of is, so the ATF is Walmart? That's the first <laughs> thing I thought of. <laughs> kind of, except if, if Walmart sold full automatic weapons. Correct. Silencers. Yeah, yeah. No, silencers are also regulated by this, which that's another and thing. And completely as a gunner, like, mythologized. That is, and, that is uh, and, and completely mythologized by Hollywood. Not even yes. close. To Silencers do not keep way. it where you can't hear a weapon, but that's and they shouldn't have to be regulated like that. But anyway, all of this is to say I've gone through that process. I find it extremely annoying and extremely dumb. Right. Mm. That being yeah. said, that being said, to me, it was the price I paid to exercise the freedoms I have under the Second Amendment. At the end of the day, even though I wish that system would be well, I say this. This is going to be tongue in cheek. I want it reformed, but I honestly don't trust them to reform it right now because I'm worried that they would find a way to make it even worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but my point is going through all of that. So I've had to go through that level of bureaucracy. So I'm not just saying, oh, I don't like the idea. But even going through that, I figured it was a small price to pay, as annoying as it was, to have the right I do to own certain things that most people can't. Mm. Now, that's just my opinion, and I have a right to my opinion, just like, like you have a right heart. to go, that's dumb. Oh, yes. I, I love you. But I love you too. that's what I'm saying. But that's what I'm saying. I, I'm someone I've gone through that level, and I'm not saying that has to be the level of of bureaucracy that everyone needs to go through just to have a basic hunting weapon or something. I, I don't want to get to that point in this country, but I'm saying I go through all of that, and I still have the mindset that 
some regulation is a good thing. There should be some level of mm -hmm. responsibility demonstrated by firearms owners, those that choose to exercise that liberty, that freedom, for the sake of, of others. Does that stop all the criminals? No, because they don't go through the NFA process yeah. to get a machine gun, and they're not going to... Yeah, but at I know the same time, totally, Henry, what's your... What's your there's a, there's a factoid just, that you know. Okay, cool. I was cool. just going to say... That, that's right where I was going, actually. This is like one of my favorite things that you've ever shared with me and what made me a lot more open to the conversation in general. Like this, this yeah. what you're about to share is very transformative for me. Yeah, and I know this is going to sound subjective and people are going to go, yeah, but the percentage of people that have these, well, okay, this is the point. Do you want to know how many crimes, violent crimes, have been committed by fully automatic weapons owned by civilians in this country in the last like 40 years? How many? Zero. Now, if you go look at the statistics on the ATF website, there is one crime that was committed, but it was by a dirty cop. Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. So it was a department's fully automatic weapon, not one owned, owned by a civilian. Privately, yeah. Right. But so <laughs> here's my point. I know that's incidental. And obviously, I suppose if the numbers in that system went up, you would have more percentage chance of somebody doing something violent with it. But I'm just saying this regulation, as imperfect as it is, it's interesting that it did enough of a job of weeding out people that, again, I'm sure there's criminals somewhere that have made their own and they're doing dumb things with it. But I'm just saying that kind of regulation, all of a sudden the incidence of people doing really stupid stuff with them went way down, almost to non-existent. Mm -hmm. Again, you can't prevent all crime and you can't prevent all accidents or all violence. Uh, that's just, that's impossible. But I'm just saying that kind of regulation, it had an impact. Yep. So why don't we think on the other level with just regular rifles and handguns and things that some sort of regulation wouldn't also have an impact on diminishing violent crime? I'm not saying it will stop it. Yeah. And I know the argument, which I do agree with, that most violent crime committed by a handgun is suicide, trigger alert. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, 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 right. So, uh, most violence is self perpetuated against ourselves with a gun. But still, um, you know, regulation does have an impact. I don't want extreme regulation. I don't want unfair regulation. I want people that are making the regulations to be informed and to listen to the communities effective. But at the same time, why can we not have that conversation? The, the hardest thing for me as a gun owner is to watch at least the most vocal gun owners, I don't even want to say they're the majority, but to see the most vocal gun owners act like organizations such as the National Rifle Association, which now I'm going to get really unpopular, but I don't like them. I've never been a member. I don't want to be a member. And no, I the thought NRA they were corrupt before that. And yeah, they are. So that's fine. Yeah, you know, but take it, it, it hurts me as a, a gun owner trying to follow the rules and appreciate guns in, in many different ways to then get painted with the broad brush of a whole bunch of ignorant or just unnuanced and unreasonable individuals that think yeah. the moment you have a conversation about regulating anything, you hate freedom, you hate me, and that's the slippery slope to all guns are going to be banned like in New Zealand, Australia, the United Kingdom, or somewhere else. And, and, and to me, I'm like, that's, that's pathetic and it's insulting to me as a gun owner. Just as the same way as I wouldn't want people that have never handled a gun and done anything to be the ones regulating me or saying they have to go or everything else. That's that's what I, I want to turn back to you to finish this off. That that's just my biggest no, burden. Fine. I don't think I don't think regulation is a scary thing. I, no. I but I think it can't take place until we have responsible, informed conversations. 
And I mean, we've been at a point in this country where it's so polarized that up until recently, there were laws on the books to prevent any sort of funding to even research gun crime. Correct. Or gun violence. I mean, because they were like, I mean, and to me, that's just fishy. It's like, I, I, you know, I don't. That's the I same with guns. marijuana I, and weed legalization with only recently it being open to being researched by non-DEA organizations. Yeah. And it almost comes across as I'm so scared about what the outcome might be that I don't want them to even look at it because it will impact me. And I'm like, if you're that scared about it, we need to have a conversation because there must be something that you and I both know that we really should pull our heads out of the sand because, and this is, what a great way to end my comment. As my grandfather used to say, boy, the problem with sticking your head in the sand is it leaves other parts of you very exposed. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's a fact. That is a fact. So I, I think, I, I agree with what you're saying. I don't think we need to be scared of regulation. I do think we need to be wary, obviously. I think we always need to tread carefully. And I, I don't, I don't want to just say blanket, you know, regulation. What I do want to say, though, is, and, and I want to end with a kind of a practical way forward. So what I'd love to see, and if, if you're a gun rights advocate that listens to this show, which thank you for getting all the way through even my diatribes in this episode, too. If you could, and Henry, I'd love for you to participate in this, too. I would love to provide a list in the show notes for this episode and on the Absurdity's website, theabsurdity.org. I would love for us to be able to put together an educational list of resources, you know, a list of educational resources for guns and gun ownership that are non-incendiary. And that was very obviously intentional language. But so I'm not looking for it. Yes, it can be a biased source, obviously, to some degree, every, you know, if you're advocating for a position, it's likely coming from there. There's bias in everything. However, what I'm aiming for is putting a list of things together that you believe that the other side or the other part of, you know, the other side of the table would be willing to engage with and would not be immediately turned off by. And I think if we could compile a list of those both in favor of gun ownership and then, you know, any resources and any educational resources on the other side of it to help understand, understand the side that is more closely aligned with my position of not having held a gun, right? Um, but the any educational resources that help people understand the fears, the dangers, the, and the, the positions otherwise for, and the arguments for more, for more regulation. Like there's the, the hashtag defund the police, which is a terrible, terrible from a branding and marketing perspective. It very rarely do people actually mean to completely remove funding for them. What we mean is let's reduce funding by diverting that into better community care and community policing methods that that prevent a lot of these things from, you know, a lot of situations from escalating in the first place. Think CAHOOTS program in Oregon, for example. So I would love to create that kind of ongoing list of educational resources. So if you listen to this episode and you're, you got all the way here, please send those in to us, any links, any videos, anything that you believe could be helpful in that. Um, I'd love to compile that and, and do what we can to contribute to that. Um, but Henry, any, anything that you would want to close with anything that any final thoughts from you before I send us off? As I said, I'm all for freedom. I want the Second Amendment to stay. I want Same. us to remember, though, that freedom requires responsibility. And there's a lot of us that on both sides that are not being responsible. And that's one of the things we've tried to do today as, as kind of around the place and maybe not as specific as some people would want. I know not as in, in depth per se, but we're trying to model responsibility and conversation so that we can be responsible in informing ourselves and then with that inf information, then seeking a way forward on this issue and it has to be in that order but I, that's what i would say educate yourself think the best about the other side please 
Use some modicum of self-control and stop assuming the other one is out to wipe you out. Yep. Right? Because if you if you think that we are never going to get this conversation anywhere productive, it's just going to get stupider and stupider, which is honestly where I think our politics on both sides is going, to the point where it's ban everything or take away every common sense thing about you don't even have to be educated. We'll just carry five guns into Walmart on your hip. And, and I think both sides of that is completely stupid. And so if we yeah. want to get away from the extremes, right? It's kind of like for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditches and both smell like swamp. If we want to get out of the ditches, if we want to quote, drain the swamp, now there's a repurpose of that. Nice. Usage, information, think better about each other and be responsible with the freedoms we have. That That's just what I want people to take away mm. from this. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Please uh, remember to subscribe if you haven't yet and let us know your thoughts on this episode, any topics you'd like to see us cover as well. And with that, we'll see you next week.